my name is Brenton and uh, it's good to be with you today. Um, do you like movies? I love movies. I, I love a good movie. And it, it got me thinking, what is it about uh, my favourite movies that makes, makes them my favourite movies? Um, and I think there's a, a number of things. Uh, I, I really like good photography. Uh, I, I really like characters that I can engage with. Um, and I like an interesting story. Um, you know, where, where you get multiple plot lines that work on different levels and really engage you and, um, and catch you up. And, and I especially like it when, um, when it, it kind of takes you on a, a bit of a journey of discovery and, and the plot reveals itself to you as you, as you go through um, that story. You know, there's a, a number, I was trying to think of some examples. So, um, you know, there's, there's Lord of the Rings where, um, you know, Frodo goes on this journey um, but you're, you know, you're seeing things from Bilbo's journey before him that have an impact on him. Uh, or, you, you know, you, you, you watch or read The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, and there's things in there which don't make sense unless you've already read The Magician's Nephew. Um, and, you know, and, and there's things that you realise the significance of them as you go through the story. I think the Bible is like that and I, I love I love the Bible um, for this too and it, you read the Old Testament and, it, and it's pointing to the New Testament and, and you read the New Testament and it's explaining the Old Testament so for example you've got in Genesis 12 verse 3 God promises Abraham all peoples on earth will be blessed through you um, and then Joel 2, verse 28 to 29, God promises to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And of course, Peter in Acts 2 at Pentecost quotes the very same verses. And then in, in verse 39 of Acts 2, he goes on to say, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And that, in, that includes you and me. And today uh, we're going to look at events that, that took Peter himself on a journey of understanding more fully these very things. We're doing a series in the, in the book of Acts and uh, called Kingdom Adventure. And, and of course, there's so much in the book of Acts. It, it would be impossible to cover it all. We'd, we'd be here for years. And so I love the way that Roger described it when he introduced the series as a, as a train journey through the book of Acts where, you know, we stop off at key points and, and we explore that before we, we get back on the train and move along. And, and so today's stop is the book is Acts chapter 10. And, um, and this is a, a, a key pivotal moment in the advance of the gospel. You see, up to this point, all of the followers of Jesus had tended to be Jewish. Uh, and, and so Christians were seen as, um, as a Jewish sect. And, um, but these events that we're gonna look at today launched the gospel as a, as a message for all people. It's massively significant. Before we get into those though, I just need to understand a couple of things. So Peter is central to this story today and he of course is a Jew 
and was born a Jew and was raised a Jew and would his whole life would have followed the, the laws for the Jews that were laid out in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, um, especially those laws about what he can and can't eat. And, and as a Jew, he would have been, um, uh, you know, convinced that to eat non-kosher food, it would, the idea of it would have been abhorrent to him. In fact, you know, he'd have believed that it would have defiled him, not only physically, but spiritually as well. And whilst it was acceptable for Jews to offer hospitality to a Gentile, they would never go into the house of a Gentile because, again, they would feel it would contaminate them um, spiritually. And so we just have to have that context in mind as, as we read this passage together. Now, we've got quite a chunk of scripture. I'm going I'm to start at Acts 10, chapter 1, and read right the way through to 11, verse 3. So bear with me. I'm just reading in the ESV. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, that's about three o'clock in the afternoon, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come to him and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. That's about noon. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, 
Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy nation angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and honoured him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why did you send for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your arms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is Peter. He is lodging at the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the words that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. And with power, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the peoples and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, 
the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had gone with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling and praising God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Should we just pray? Yeah, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you um, for, you know, these things are written down for us so that we can understand that you are the one who removes our sin, that you are the one who brings us into relationship with God. And I just, I thank you for that, that, that this is a message not just for the Jews, but it's a message for all people. And I just pray that you would speak to us by your spirit today, that you would engage us, that you would um, catch us up in your purposes. Uh, so just meet with us now. Amen. Now, I think this, this would make a good movie. Um, I, I can imagine, uh, you know, this tense music as the, as the camera kind of gets a close-up shot of Peter and, uh, and the look on his face as he's pondering these things. Um, or, or this dramatic entrance of, of Cornelius's men. Um, and of course, the, the speech of Peter at Cornelius' house would have been uh, immense. Um, I just want to take a, a quick look at the key characters of this story. Of course, we know Peter, uh, we know his history, we know he's a fisherman from Galilee uh, who Jesus called and who spent those, those years uh, with Jesus. Um, and yet here he is uh, years later in the city of Joppa um, and he's up on this flat roof. Um, probably was a great place to pray while he's waiting for lunch uh, to be prepared. Um, and then he gets this vision. And of course, that means only Peter could see this vision. Um, but in this vision, it talks about three classifications of you know, animals, you know, animals, reptiles and birds of the air. And those are the three classifications used in, um, in Genesis 6. Uh, and that just signifies that it means the whole animal kingdom, that all animals uh, were included, including animals that Jews were not prepared, permitted to eat. Now, of course, we know from some of the Gospels that, that Peter was quite a strong-willed character and, uh, and he's very reluctant to compromise on, uh, on these Jewish food laws. And in fact, um, as he's told to kill and eat, he said, by no means, um, ironically, while also saying, Lord. But God wants to take Peter on a journey. He wants to expand Peter's understanding. You see, the angel that appeared to Cornelius could have told Cornelius the good news. He could have given Cornelius the gospel himself. He didn't have to send Peter to do that. But God wants to teach Peter 
and the early church um, a key lesson, as well as reaching Cornelius. You see, the advance of the gospel relied on this. It's interesting to note um, the city of Joppa uh, was the very city um, at the port where Jonah boarded a ship when he, he tried to run away from God because God had told him to go and preach to the Gentiles in Babylon. And Peter was staying at, um, at Simon the Tanner's house. And uh, a tanning was a, a profession that was considered unclean by the Jews because it involved handling animal hides. And of course, this, this, this instruction, this vision is repeated three times to Peter. And he'd have been very familiar with this triple, triple repetition. He denied Jesus three times. And then in John 21, verses 15 to 17, Jesus asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? As Jesus restored that relationship. It's becoming clear that this is not a man-made strategy to reach the Gentiles. Um, yes, Jesus, in, in Matthew 28, Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, but they probably would have assumed that meant making them Jews first. This is clearly God's strategy. In fact, this is God's plan all along. In fact, 750 years before this, we read in, in Isaiah 49, verse 6, God says through the prophet, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. You know, like the best movies, this plot line is emerging and, and we're, we're suddenly realising the significance of it. Then, of course, we have Cornelius and Cornelius is a Gentile. That's pretty clear. Um, he's a Roman, a centurion of the Italian regiment. Um, Roman regiments would have been made up of about 600 men, uh, each divided into six centuries uh, with a centurion in charge. And, um, and here we have Cornelius, who's a centurion of this occupying army, bear in mind. He's working for the successor of Pontius Pilate, um, actually operating out of the same garrison as the troops who, who crucified Jesus. So not necessarily an ideal candidate based on that. You see, the Ethiopian eunuch that we heard about a couple of weeks ago was probably the first non-Jewish convert. Uh, but it probably wasn't very well known about at the time. But here, there's a great controversy because Cornelius and the Gentiles received the gospel. The church was clearly not ready for Gentiles to join the church and be filled with the Spirit. But Cornelius was also a God-fearing man. Uh, he's not a Jewish convert, but he prays and he gives food and money to the poor. Now, I just want to point out this doesn't earn him favour with God. 
He doesn't buy his way in um, to God's favour at all, but rather the fact that he prays and the fact that he gives money to the poor is evidence of faith. And God always responds to faith. And then the scenes of this, uh, of course, we've got Cornelius praying with the angel appearing. Um, no, Cornelius does what the angel tells him straight away, again, as evidence of faith. And then we have Peter the next day up on the roof of the house with this strange vision that must have upset him initially. Um, and, and he's still thinking about this vision when the Cornelius's men arrive uh, and, and the spirit tells him that it's okay to go with them. Um, he probably needed that prompt of the spirit. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone to a Gentile's house. And then we've got this journey, this road trip from Joppa to Caesarea. It's about 39 miles. So obviously it took them more than one day. You know, I wonder what they discussed on the journey. And then Peter arrives at Cornelius's house and, and Cornelius bows down. And uh, the commentary that I have says that this wasn't out of worship, but it was out of honour and respect. But Peter tells him to stand up, tells him I'm just a man too. He, he wants Cornelius to know that, um, that Peter's treating him as an equal. And then we have this, um, this speech that Peter gives. And, you know, Peter is, is not just explaining the gospel, but he's also revealing this, that his own understanding is progressing as, you know, as this plot line is, is make, starting to make sense to him. Um, verse 28, he points out it's unlawful for a Jew to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And then verse 34, he goes on. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Verse 36, he's saying, you, you know or you have heard of Jesus of Nazareth and the things that he did. And then he contrasts that in verse 39. He says, we are witnesses of these things. We saw these things. We're witnesses of the things that Jesus did. We're witnesses of his death. We are witnesses of his resurrection. We ate and drank with him. But whilst Peter's still explaining this, he's still laying out the gospel and, and pointing out the significance of Jesus and who Jesus is um, to these Gentiles. Um, he's not even got to the appeal. And yet the spirit comes on these Gentiles gathered together in Cornelius's house. Now, Peter and his companions are clearly not prepared for this. Not only were they entering into a Gentile household, not only was Peter explaining the gospel to them, but now the Holy Spirit was poured out on them as well. This was completely outside their paradigm, would, you know, would have probably completely blown their mind. But this was God, the Holy Spirit, confirming 
that these Gentiles were welcomed into the kingdom of God, accepted into the body of Christ, the church. This is a historic moment for the spread of the gospel. This is it breaking out from being a Jewish sect to something that goes far, far beyond. This changes the trajectory of church growth and that we are benefiting from it today. But it also fulfills the promises that God made all along. It's the plot twist in the story that makes us go, aha, I get it now. I see what that meant. It's the grace of God for everyone, not just the chosen free few. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Roger shared the story of, of when Philip went and preached to the Samaritans in Acts 8. And they received Christ and they were then baptised in water. And of course, then later, Peter and John go to them and laid hands on them and they received, a, a, they were baptised or filled with the Holy Spirit. But here we have these people of Cornelius's house, they're baptised in the Holy Spirit as they receive Christ. And in fact, them being filled with the Holy Spirit is this very sign that tells Peter that they, they should be baptized in water too. And that's exactly what happens. They are baptized in water and welcomed into the church. There's a couple, just two key things that I want to explore and draw out for us today. The first one is this. There are no barriers to coming to Jesus. I think it's probably hard for us to comprehend what a big deal this was for the early church. You see, the Jews considered themselves set apart by God. Um, they didn't mingle with other peoples or nations. Their food laws said that Gentile food was unclean and therefore Gentiles were unclean. But God comes in and completely smashes that divide. He shows Peter and the early church that Gentiles are very much not just clean, but welcomed into the body of Christ. That actually this was God's plan all along, going right back to the promise he gave Abraham. Of course, the biggest divide in history was that divide between God and man. We were created to have a close relationship with God, to walk with him. And then we spoiled that relationship when we rebelled against God. And in doing so, we, we were separated from our perfect, holy God. And we were left powerless to do anything about it. This uncrossable div um, divide between God and man. But Jesus's life, his death on the cross and his resurrection bridged that divide. 
It, it removes the very thing that separated us from God. It removes our sin and, and our guilt and removes the penalty of death that goes with it. God even tore the dividing curtain in the temple to show that there was now nothing to keep us from him. All we need to do is accept that and receive God's love and grace through Jesus. But even with that, we can still put barriers up between us and God. Even though it's been dealt with on the cross, we can let our sin become a barrier again. We can let guilt and shame creep in. We can feel that we cannot be close to God. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means the things we've done in the past are not counted against us, whether that past was 20 years or two minutes ago. What barriers or limitations have you put between you and Jesus? Do you think there's something um, in your past, in your life, that Jesus can't forgive? That's simply pride. That's saying that Jesus's death and resurrection is not enough to deal with your sin. We heard two weeks ago about Saul's conversion. We heard this man who was trying to persecute and wipe out the church, um, you know, coming to meet the risen Jesus. And, you know, he went on, he called himself the worst of sinners. But God forgave him. And God forgives you. Or do you think there's something that you need to do or stop doing um, before you come to Jesus? Jesus did it all. He's already done it. You are accepted and loved just as you are. We, we come to Jesus with all our mess and all of our issues and, and those things in our lives are dealt with in the relationship, in the context of his love and his grace at work in us. We don't have to sort it out before. We come to him and then get it sorted out. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so no one can boast. There are all sorts of things that we could put as barriers between us and Jesus. But Jesus has dealt with those barriers once and for all. So don't do it. Don't put things between you and him. Ask yourself today, is there anything that you have set up? Anything that you have allowed to come in and, become, and come between you and Jesus and that relationship with him? And if there is, say sorry, repent, receive his love and forgiveness. And keep doing that if you need to, do it daily. 
Jesus has removed all barriers. There is nothing to stop us coming to him. The second thing that I want to draw out today is quite simply this. Christianity is meant to be supernatural. It's not supposed to be benign and, or a cerebral thing um, or something that we can all just figure out, um, just another social club. The book of Acts is full of supernatural interventions of the Holy Spirit. Even in the last couple of weeks, we've, you know, we've, we've heard about Philip just appearing next to the Ethiopian eunuch's chariot. Uh, we've heard about the appearance of the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus to, to Saul. And then only last week, uh, Joel was uh, speaking to us about um, Dorcas who had died and Peter prays and she comes to life again. And then this week, just as, as Peter is preaching truth to these people, the Holy Spirit comes on them and they're speaking in tongues and worshipping God. You see, I, I study the Bible and, and, and I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit is for us today. You see, being filled with the Spirit is a vital part of our relationship with God. It's not um, a, a bolt-on or something additional uh, just to make us super spiritual. I go as far as saying it's not, it's not even less important than praying or reading the Bible. It's a fundamental part of God empowering us to live for him. The power of the gospel is not in clever eye arguments or, or great programs or eloquent preaches. It's the Holy Spirit himself. In, in our type of church, we can often talk about when we were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it can almost sound like we're emphasising uh, this, that, it, you know, make it sound like it's a one-off occurrence. There's a question I want to ask us today, and the question is not if you've been filled with the Spirit or when you were filled with the Spirit. The question is, are you full? Paul writes in Ephesians uh, 5 verse 18, be being filled with the Spirit. Notice that this, this was written to the Ephesian Christians who had already been filled with the Spirit. John 3 verse 34 says, For he, God, gives the Spirit without measure. You can't use it up or have too much. We're invited to keep coming, keep asking, keep being filled with the Spirit. Now, I have to be honest with you. As I was preparing this, I felt challenged because, and I examined myself, I wouldn't say that I am full. I, and I, you know, and, and so how could I come to you and say these things? Isn't that hypocritical? But, you know, like, like many people, I, I found the last few months challenging. I feel um, that listlessness and I feel um, demotivated. I, I feel like I've just got a bit spiritually dry. 
What about you? I'm sure there are other people out there who feel the same. Let's not settle for that. Let us get before God and ask him to fill us again. Not, not just for our own benefit, but because the Spirit empowers us to be effective witnesses for him. Helps us to, to be better worshippers and to better serve Jesus. As I finish, we're going to um, play some worship music. And some things are going to come up on the screen. Don't rush off to put the kettle on. Don't rush to get on with your day. I just urge you, take a few minutes right now. Ask the Holy Spirit to come. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you once again. And then expect it and receive it. It's a gift. You can't have too much. We're told, we're commanded to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think that's a key part of us as a church being effective in this town and in this nation, is that each one of us individually is filled with the Spirit. I'm going to pray that for myself, not just today, but every day. And I just invite you to join me. Thank you. Thank you.